Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily podcast presented by bet fred sports i'm your host my name is zach kroll and this is the podcast where we will be talking all things about the sport of college basketball now until the end of march madness the road ends there and this is going to be a very special episode of college hoops daily here today because i know this season has officially been underway for a little bit more than a week now but at least compared to years past this year's schedule hasn't been the same and because of that it hasn't exactly felt like the season has officially started just yet but that lasted until last night the champions classic we had two great games michigan state beats kentucky in double overtime we also had kansas pulling away from duke late in the second game uh, to get the victory and even besides the champions classic games last night there was a ton of action we had st louis coming up with an impressive win against memphis we also had san diego state going in to the farm onto the farm i should say and getting a monster victory over kansas georgetown and louisville those two teams continue to struggle and college basketball is officially back it now has set in for me this is the best time of the year and you know on this podcast we're going to get into it all a little bit later in the show my guy Aaron Torres the founder of Aaron Torres Media he's going to be joining me as we break down everything from the Champions Classic last night it was a great conversation but really that was more from the Kentucky perspective uh we also got into both sides of uh Kansas and Duke but I wanted to start off today's show with a few thoughts from the Michigan State perspective, not only after last night's game, but after their opening game on the aircraft carrier in San Diego against Gonzaga, Michigan State easily could have won that game. They lost uh, on a last second miss, but they're sitting at two and one with a big victory over Kentucky. We're going to get into a lot of it with Aaron, as I said, but I wanted to start off with Michigan State, right? Because Michigan State in a down year last year, right? When I watched Michigan State last year, that was not a great Michigan State team, especially compared to years past. And now, last year marked the second consecutive season where Michigan State didn't make the Sweet 16. And I know those are extremely high standards to set on a program. However, when you have a coach like Tom Izzo that has literally the month of March named after him in college basketball circles, you're going to have 
heavy expectations. And Michigan State, they did go 23 and 13 overall last year, 11 and 9 in the Big Ten, which was a bad year. And if you remember the year before that, they didn't even make it really to the first round of the NCAA tournament. They lost in Dayton to a UCLA team that actually ended up going all the way to the final four. But a lot of people going into this season were down on this Michigan State team because. They didn't make the Sweet 16 last year. They didn't make the Sweet 16 the year before that. And they were losing a ton of their top scores from last year in Gabe Brown, in Malik Hall, and in Marcus Bingham. But I actually looked at the pieces Michigan State brought back, right? I think Tyson Walker, the transfer from Northeastern, it took him a little bit of time to really get used to and adjusted to the level of the Big Ten. And by season's end last year, he was really good. He hit a big shot to lift Michigan State over Purdue in one of their bigger victories of the season. I think he really improved down the stretch, and he even hit a few big shots last night to put Michigan State over Kentucky. A.J. Hogard is very good, but he could be frustrating to watch at times because there are some minutes you watch him, and it's like, wow, this guy could be the go-to guy on Michigan State, that has been another critique of this Spartan team. The fact that they may not necessarily have that one clear go-to score, but I also think at times that's something that could benefit them, considering you don't have to just rely on one guy each night. And if that guy has an off night, then you're screwed. Uh, so I like what Hodgard gave them, even though preferably you'd want him to be a little bit more consistent. But the guy we have to talk about for Michigan State is Monty Sissoko. They lose Marcus Bingham, Bingham, who was their main uh, paint presence from last year. They also lost Julian Marble, another big, uh, to the transfer portal. He went to Texas A&M. But in Sissoko's two games against Michigan State and Gonzaga, he scored 16 and 14 points respectively, so a combined 30 points. And he's had a combined 17 rebounds in those games as well. And one of my, like, I was someone that was pretty high on this Michigan State team going into the season relative to expectations. They just missed my top 25. And actually, it's funny, a big reason for that is Jaden Akins, who has played all right in these first two games. He's coming off of a foot injury, so he's still getting healthy. And Michigan State is just fortunate to have him back in the lineup. And uh, he hasn't missed any time, which is a really good thing. But he hasn't even gotten going yet for this Michigan State team. But Joey Hauser, he was the one that stepped up last night from the perimeter, making a couple big threes after really struggling in Michigan State's opener. Uh, well, not their opener, their first big game on the aircraft carrier against San, uh, in San Diego against Gonzaga. But Sissoko has been really impressive. Uh, Michigan State doesn't win that game without him last night. And I really thought I thought it at the time. And I thought I still think it right now after the game. That game was really determined by who was going to foul out first between Shibwe and Sissoko. Both those guys had fouls late in the game. And uh, Shibwe was the one that ended up fouling out first. Sissoko comes up with a couple big plays in overtime, in double overtime, and Michigan State comes away with the victory. And look, I know this Michigan State team isn't perfect. I'm not saying they're going to win the Big Ten or they're a national championship contender, but I do respect that Tom Izzo had belief in his team that he didn't even recruit a transfer from the portal. In today's era of college basketball, where literally everyone's in the transfer portal, you have the opportunity to transfer once without sitting out. Tom Izzo wasn't interested in that. He was interested in keeping his own guys because he was confident in his team, and Michigan State could easily 
be 2-0 right now with victories over two of the better teams in the country, in Gonzaga, in Kentucky. But they're 1-1, good start for Michigan State, and their next few games will be against Villanova at home. They will then take on Alabama in the PK-80, and then after that, they'll play either the winner or the loser, depending on their results, either UConn or Oregon. So the schedule is not going to get any lighter for Michigan State. There's also a chance they can match up with North Carolina, or actually Villanova again later in that tournament before they will take on Notre Dame in South Bend in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. But I just wanted to start off the show with that. I was so impressed by Tom Izzo and the coaching job he did or he has done so far for this Michigan State team. The two plays at the end of regulation and single overtime to tie the games up were so well drawn up. That was big time. There aren't a ton of coaches that could do that. Maybe Bill Self, who wasn't unfortunately in the building last night, but Norm Roberts led his Kansas Jayhawks to victory there. Uh, So a good win by Kansas, a good win by Michigan State in the Champions Classic. And we're actually going to get into it all right now with my guy, Aaron Torres, who will be joining me next on the College Hoops Daily Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Bet Fred Sports. And you know there was only one way we were going to start off today's show. It was talking about last night's epic Champions Classic doubleheader. We had two games between Kentucky and Michigan State er, uh, and Kansas and Duke. We're going to get into all of that right now, but I'm not going to be doing it alone. Joining me, the host of the Aaron Torres podcast, the founder of Aaron Torres Media. You guys know him, my guy, Aaron Torres. AT, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for joining me here today. Uh, uh, not much is going on with me, ZK. Uh, glad to be joining you as always. I know the show's been killing uh, to start, so excited to join you. And uh, I know it's cliche for those of us who love college hoops, but it's nice to have some real games to talk about after Tuesday. And I think, you know, last night or Tuesday, whenever people are listening, it really was the unofficial start of college basketball season. I know we had the aircraft carrier game that I was at on Friday, uh, a couple other things last week. But this feels like the first really big one. Uh, And then obviously it's just going to continue this week with some of the games that we have later on this week. uh, And it should be fun. Yeah, I totally understand understand the circumstances with Election Day uh, falling on the first Tuesday of the college basketball season, and they didn't want to put the Champions Classic on that same day. But I've just gotten so used to the fact that uh, the Champions Classic over the last few years has been on the opening night of the season. So it did take me a little bit of time after the season started, like a few days really until that Gonzaga-Michigan State aircraft carrier game, like you said, to really just – to to have reality set in and realize like, okay, wow, college basketball season is officially here. And I got that feeling last night uh, watching these two games, watching a couple of the other games last night while the Champions Classic was going on. But let's get into it, man. The first game I wanted to discuss was Kentucky and Michigan State. The game ends up going to double overtime and Michigan State gets the win 86 to 77. And AT, you know, I was really high on this Michigan State team going into the season. I'm not necessarily surprised they're better than a lot of people expected, but we'll get into that a little later. We have to talk about Kentucky because this is a team that not only this year, but 
last year and many years before that we've had high expectations for we know how good of a coach John Calipari is and everything he's accomplished and while Kentucky had some good flashes in this game they were really leading for the majority of the game it's a familiar ending Michigan State takes it late 86-77 so just start off by asking you man what was uh, your main takeaway from the Kentucky perspective after watching this one and how worried uh, should Big Blue Nation be if at all? Well, you mentioned, you know, the Champions Classic, you know, you just get used to it actually being the start of the season. It's not the start of the season until half of social media wants John Calipari fired uh, that are Kentucky fans. So we are there. Um, and listen, you know, I talked about a little bit on my pod, which is, of course, part of AT Media as well, on, uh, you know, on Tuesday, Wednesday morning, excuse me. And I think two things are true. Like, one, if you're a Kentucky fan, that sees a lot of the same, saw a lot of the same problems on Tuesday night that you saw last year with this team, uh, especially in the way they ended losing early in the SEC tournament, losing to St. Peter's in the first round. I get it. Like it was bad, right? Oscar Sheboy falls out. The offense stagnates, um, you know, not a lot of whatever creativity in getting your best players open shots. John Calipari says after the game, I should have played Antonio Reeves more. But then on the flip side, I also think, like, look, Calipari, and I think you might have seen this, Zach, but on Tuesday, on Monday, I mean, he signs the number one ranked recruiting class in the country. He puts out a video with a T-shirt with all of the players in the class's name on it. But he also says, hey, we're excited about this class, but it's about Tuesday night. Be patient. And I think that's part of, like, the Kentucky conversation is Oscar Sheba this is the first time he played all year. Uh, Severe Wheeler was out of the lineup for a game. Um, you know, Jacob Toppin missed time in the preseason. And so I get the frustration. I also just kind of feel like, you know, I'm not, I feel like I'm always like people are, oh, you always make excuses for Calipari. It's like they were in complete control when, just think about it like this, Zach, as a credit to the guys who have been healthy, John Calipari brought the national player of the year and last year's SEC assist leader off of the bench in this game. They are not going to not start too many more games going forward, and I think once they get into a rhythm, they'll be fine. But at the same time, we only have one big game to react to when it comes to Kentucky, and they fell apart late. They had two chances to close it out, and they didn't, and everybody has the right to be frustrated if that is how you feel here on Wednesday morning, Wednesday afternoon. Definitely, and I think part of the frustration is the fact that before last night's game, our latest memory of Kentucky basketball came in that same building in the NCAA tournament against St. Peter's where just so many things went wrong. And I think that's a really good point you brought up just uh, about the fact that this Kentucky team, they're still getting their guys back. I Obviously, it's Oscar Shibwe, the first uh, defending national player of the year to return uh, to college basketball since Tyler Hansborough in 2008-2009. But I was impressed how right away he comes back yesterday and there was no difference. He comes off the bench and he still plays 34 minutes, 22 points, 18 rebounds. And it was clear. Like, I almost thought that game was going to come down to whoever fouled out first between uh, Shibwe and Sissoko. Both those guys had four fouls late in the game and Oscar, he fouls out Michigan state takes advantage. But I think my concern from the Kentucky perspective would be like the difference between them with and without Shibwe on the floor, because that's the problem with your best player. And one of the best players in college basketball being a big man, if, if he fouls out, you don't have much behind him. Well, a couple things. One, it's really funny because, like, that was actually probably my biggest takeaway is, like, 
I think we kind of like look at the stat sheet from last year and you just like, you're like, oh, that guy was awesome. Oh my God, all these crazy records, blah, 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 blah. And then you watch him and like you said, just not even miss a beat after basically not playing competitive basketball for two weeks, three weeks, whatever, it's been a month. And you're like, holy crap, this guy is really freaking good. You know, it's funny, again, I was at the aircraft carrier game and it was like that with Drew Timmy is, you know, sometimes, you know, you, it's a long off season and you have time to overthink things and you sit there and say, you know, is Drew Timmy really that good or are we overrating him a little bit? Is Oscar Sheepway really that good or are we overrating him a little bit? Uh, and no, Drew Timmy was awesome on Friday. He was able to close out the win by one point on the aircraft carrier. Oscar Sheepway fouled out was not. But that is one, like, major takeaway. But I think it's also like a gift and the curse almost to, to the Kentucky fan base is, if you remember late last year, I think that was kind of a, a little bit of the argument was, and I get it, right? They had had injuries all of February, really all season long, but Severe Wheeler isn't 100%. Ty Ty Washington, who played for the team last year, wasn't 100%. We find out after the fact, Kellen Brady's got some major foot problems. And so I just bring it up because last year, late in the year, it became exactly what you said, Zach, way too reliant on Oscar Sheepway. Um, and I think that's the fear of Kentucky fans is exactly what you said. What happens when he falls out? What happens in a big game when he's not available or he's limited or he's whatever? Um, and I do think that's where some of the fair criticism comes in of the rotations and Antonio Reeves, who came into the game as the team's leading scorer, um, you know, barely played down the stretch. And so, again, you know, I say it all the time on my show is in, in, in all these circumstances, two things can be true and I think this is one of those cases if you want to sit there with a glasses half full approach and say listen despite all of this craziness in the early part of the season guys in and out of the lineup we're basically you know two defensive stops and we win the game by the way Casey Wallace twice had a chance to extend the lead to three at the end of regulation the end of overtime it's probably different if that happens um, and if you want to take that glasses half full approach I get it I also do, again, understand the Kentucky fan that's like, man, that looked a lot like, to your point, Zach, it looked a lot like the last time we saw them in the same building against St. Peter's. And it's not just it's the same building and that they lost. The loss looked eerily similar to that St. Peter's game as well, where they were in complete control uh, and then fell apart late. Yeah, and comparing this team to last year's Kentucky's team, because there are obviously a lot of the same guys with Shibway and Wheeler and Toppin still there, but I'm a big fan of Casey Wallace, even though he did miss those free throws last night, like you said. I think the way he impacted the game is going to be something that really helps Kentucky. Uh, he uh, had a great game finishing with 14 points, five rebounds, five assists, and listen to this, eight steals. That's just mm -hmm. impacting the game right there. And also, I know they didn't necessarily play great last night, but I do think the combination of Reeves and Frederick, they're going to be able to make some three-point yep. shots. And I think also last season, that's something that killed Kentucky was Kellen Grady uh, with the injury. He just was not the same player as we saw early in the season. So with Wheeler and Shibway both hurt, this, this was their first game back in a while. You have Jacob Toppin still, who I think had some nice flashes in this game, plus better shooting. Although the loss is very frustrating and very similar to the St. Peter's loss, I still look at a ton of factors in this game and think to myself, okay, as long as Kentucky is able to clean these things up, they should be fine going forward. And I'll say again, like Michigan State is really impressive to me. They play hard. They play tough. We know Tom Izzo got a lot of criticism over the offseason 
about the fact that he didn't recruit a transfer from the portal. Uh, they lost three of their better players from last year. And it looks to me still, this Michigan State team is better than uh, their team last year. So even though it was a frustrating loss for Kentucky, I do think there were some positives and Michigan State is a really good team. Yeah, a couple things. One, I, I, it sounds like we're a lot on the same page because there's a lot of stuff that I talked about. I mean, I forget the number right now. I'm not in front of a computer, but I think Frederick and Reeves combined to go like two for 12 from three or two for nine from three or something. I said, that's probably not going to happen again. Um, and the case of Wallace point about three points, uh, about the, the eight steals, excuse me. So, I mean, just think about everything that we've talked about, okay? So, guys coming back from injuries, uh, your two best shooters go cold. Um, you know, and oh, by the way, you're bringing a national player of the year and the, the SEC assist leader off of the bench. And so once everything gets into a rhythm, now this is what we know that we have. We have two elite shooters, which didn't shoot well. We have the best low post player in college basketball or whatever in the conversation. If you like Armando Baycott or you like Drew Timmy or whoever, okay, whatever. Um, you have a double-double machine, though, down low. And now you have a lockdown wing defender, which I don't think can be understated with Case and Wallace. And I just – I do look at it from some positives. Now, from the Michigan State perspective, I tend to agree with you, man. Like, I – and I'll credit you because, you know, obviously we, you and I talk all off season. I was a little bit lower on Michigan State, and I think it's because I have an image in my head of what I think a Michigan State team should look like. And they had two kind of wing big guys, Marcus Bingham and, and Gabe Brown, that both had eligibility that could have come back. They didn't. And I sat there and said, well, you know, who's their low post guy? And what I think I failed to realize is that the guards, Tyson Walker, who made two really big plays in double overtime, I know he had kind of a, a mistake earlier in the game that he was a little frustrated with, but had two really big plays in double overtime. Uh, and Hogard was really good in the game that I was at. Um, I, I just think it's a different team. They, they don't have as much size. And really some of their best, Bigs, if you want to call them that, are more wing and perimeter players. Joey Hauser was awesome on Tuesday, uh, and the kid Malik Hall obviously had two huge plays to, to send it to not only overtime but double overtime before Michigan State won. So I, I do think they're good. I certainly think they're battle-tested, and I'll tell you this, man. I'm excited to see them at home this coming Friday against uh, Villanova because that's a game where I think they're, they're, you know people are probably going to look at the results of the first two games and say, you know, how good are they? Not, not how good are they. I, I shouldn't say that. But, you know, they, they easily – I think some people probably look at it and say they're a play away, play away from being 2-0 and in those big games. They're also a player two away from being 0-2. And, and I'm excited to see them in, in a home environment on Friday night. I, I actually, you know, from a betting perspective, we are sponsored by Betfred Sports. Obviously, we have no points spread out for that game yet. But that's a game where I would like Michigan State pretty, uh, you know, pretty, pretty good against Villanova. Yeah, man. And you said it. I was someone that was really high on this Michigan State team going into the season, at least compared to the consensus opinion. There were a ton of people saying that this was going to be the first time Michigan State missed the NCAA tournament since 1997. Nah, oh, that's, that, that's a little bit much. I mean, especially the, the Big Ten is awful this year. Like, it's, it's, it's abjectly terrible this year. I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's <laughs> terrible this year. They're going to make the NCAA tournament. But, you, but to the people that said, you know, this isn't a top five, top ten preseason team, okay, I get that. Uh, I don't, I, I didn't see that, Zach. I'm not saying people weren't saying it, but anybody saying that's just a total idiot. I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's the truth. Yeah, no problem. And it was their own fan base, too, a lot of it. Like, that's the crazy part. Their own fan base was just super down on this team. And I kind of get why, considering they did lose a, a good amount from last year, but I did uh, really like – 
uh, the pieces they brought back. And again, I thought that they'd be good, but you said it, they could easily be two and oh with wins over Gonzaga and Kentucky Two of the, I think the better teams in the country. That's crazy. A thousand percent, man. A thousand percent. No. And, and you know, what I'll, I'll say is a couple of things is I think in this, like some of this stuff gets to be cliche at times, but like there is a mental toughness to them where, you know, one does just bounce back from the Gonzaga loss, but I, I was at the Gonzaga game. I know I've said it like seven times already, but why I bring it up was because in the first half, you could just, it, it, I'll say this, it was pretty cold aboard that, that aircraft carrier. You know, for people who've never been to San Diego this time of year, it's really gets into the 40s at night, which doesn't sound that cold to you East Coast people, but trust me, it's cold in San Diego with the wind. There's no humidity, so it, it, it feels colder than it is. Um, and the Michigan State players just kind of played like, like, hey, we're playing in the driveway, you know, like we did when we were kids, as opposed to Gonzaga, which it felt like it really took them about 35, not 35, maybe 25 to 30 minutes to, be, to actually prove that they wanted to be there. Gonzaga does close it out. But I do think there's also a toughness to this team, which I really actually do respect because they showed it on the aircraft carrier. And then again, to not only bounce back, but to be all game long having, you know, it was kind of one of those games where they fall down five, make a play, they fall down three. And it's like there was probably not just the two overtime periods, but, you know, there were probably five or six times throughout the game where Kentucky was like one defensive stop away from really blowing it open, you know, making a five-point lead, an eight-point lead or whatever, and they could just never get that stop. And so, again, I, I do think there's something about the mental toughness of this group, and I'm just excited to watch them here over these next couple of weeks because, as I said, Villanova and then obviously the PK-85 event, uh, it's not going to get much easier for them. Yeah, so you mentioned Michigan State. They are going to have another big game on Friday against um, uh, Villanova, and it's cool also that Gonzaga, they're going to be in action in a big game uh, on Sunday against Kentucky too. So we're going to see all these teams continuing to play. Yeah, exactly, in these biggest games. Uh, Dude, uh, let's move on to the next game, Duke-Kansas. Obviously, that Kentucky-Michigan State game goes into double overtime. This game didn't start until pretty late at night, but we stayed up and watched it. Kansas gets the 69-64 victory over Duke, and this a ton of things happened in this game early on. Kansas gets off to a huge lead. You think there's a chance maybe they run Duke out of their out of the gym. Jeremy Jeremy Roach, I think, did a good job keeping Duke in the game uh, late in the first half and into the second half. But then we get into that midway late range of the second half. Duke has control. They have a lead. And Grady Dick, the freshman for Kansas, who had some moments early but really disappeared for the next 20 to 25 minutes with about five minutes left in the game, he scores 10 consecutive points for, or seven consecutive points, excuse me, for Kansas. He takes over and leads the Jayhawks to a 69 64 victory. And I was down on this Kansas team going into the season. I know Bill self is still there. I know they won the national championship last year, but they lost a ton from last year's team in Abaji in Christian Braun, in David McCormick, in Remy Martin, a lot of guys that were really important to that national championship team. And I know they brought in some new pieces. Uh, I wasn't exactly sure how they'd mesh, especially early. And I know when you look at Duke on the other side, they're replacing Coach K. They still have a ton of freshmen that like Kentucky aren't entirely healthy yet. But as crazy as this sounds, man, I was somewhat impressed by both teams considering Mm. Kansas – didn't play their best game and still won, and, and Duke showed flashes as well. 
So you, I, you, uh, I feel bad for anybody that's already listened to my podcast because you have a lot of the same takeaways that, that I do. Um, I'll say this, like, like in a weird way, I came away more impressed with Duke than I did with Kansas. Like, like we can talk about Kansas in a minute, but just my, my quick thought on Duke is you have a kid named Derek Whitehead, five-star top three player in the class of 2022. He doesn't play at all. Uh, Derek Lively, uh, a top three player in the class of 2022, he missed the first game and has been limited. If you watch the game, he was basically just a putback guy kind of in the paint. And so I bring it up because Kansas was way ahead early, then Duke comes all the way back, and then it looks like Duke is in complete control. And then Duke ends up, Duke ends up, uh, uh, you know, making a move and, um, and, uh, um, and Duke makes a move, and like I'm sitting there saying, they did it without really their two most important players. And so, listen, you know, there, there's an old saying in, in football recruiting: stars matter. And and what it is is, you know, you watch Georgia, and they just have a different caliber of player than even say a Tennessee, right? Like Georgia, Tennessee, it's just like, oh, Tennessee's wide receivers have been running wide open against everybody and they can't even get open and get, they can't get open against Georgia. Uh, you know, the, the offensive line can't move in it. So the point I'm trying to make is that Duke almost had like a stars matter vibe to them where their two highest rated recruits aren't playing and their two next highest rated recruits just stepped up and were awesome. Kyle Filipowski, I think it was 16 and 14, and Tyrese Proctor, who arrived really late in the summer, um, finished. All, you know, he only finished with nine points, but I think they were all in the second half. I think he had about seven in a row at one point, and to really carry them. So the point I'm trying to make is to go on, uh, you know, neutral court. And I know Bill Self wasn't there, but first game of the John Shire era, um, a situation where you know your 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 two most important players either aren't playing or are very limited. And to basically come down to the final few minutes with the lead and aren't able to hold on, I do take that as like an incredible positive for Duke going forward. Um, and obviously, I know there's some Kansas stuff to talk about too, but I actually came away being like, okay, like that was actually a very nice effort for Duke considering who they didn't have and who was pretty limited on Tuesday night. Yeah. And I know over the course of the last few years, John Shire has really been known as the guy who does all the recruiting for Duke, who's brought in a lot of their future NBA players. But man, I think this class has the chance to be really special. And you said it, we didn't uh, see Whitehead at all last night. Lively, he played 21 minutes off the bench, but for the former number one overall recruit coming out of high school, you expect him uh, to do more as time goes on. He's also uh, coming back from an injury, but Proctor and Mark Mitchell and Filipowski, yeah, I was really impressed with all three of those guys. Uh, I like Proctor. I think in the second half, he really gave them something, making tough NBA-level jump shots to keep Duke in the game. And Mark Mitchell, he was Duke's leading scorer after their first two games. He only had seven points last night, but gave them a little bit of something. And yeah, Filipowski made an impact as well. So I'm going to be curious to see how exactly does John Shire manage all of these guys in the rotation because Jeremy Roach, he's obviously their leader playing 39 minutes uh, last night, but you have Proctor. I'm a big fan of Jacob Grandison, the Illinois transfer. He only played 10 minutes last night, but there are a lot of pieces here with Duke. And I think it, it might take some time, 
but I think they will eventually fit together. And the ACC has been really bad out of the stretch. I know a lot of people expected the conference to be much improved compared to last year and the NCAA tournament they had uh, after the regular season. But I'm looking at this Duke team and the talent that they have. And yeah, I think they could be really good. Zero doubt. And, you know, I think the ACC point is a good one. Um, Obviously, you know, Louisville's become a little bit of a punching bag, whatever. I don't think anybody really thought they were going to be that good. I don't think people thought they'd be this bad, but I don't think anybody thought they were really going to be that good. Um, But the one to me, and, you know, I know we want to talk Kansas and all that stuff, but really quickly, you've probably had a chance to watch a little bit more of Florida State than I have. Can you explain, like, I I heard your pod on, on Friday, you know, after the first loss, I get it you know, John Butler, all that. They had a player that went pro that they weren't expecting. You know, the guy they brought in was deemed ineligible by the NCAA, blah, 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 blah. I'm just stunned at how bad they are. Um, and then, obviously, there's some other teams across the board as well. But, uh, yeah, but the, I don't know if, if we need to talk Louisville or, or Wake Forest. I'm just saying is, you're right, the ACC, there's going to be probably – by the way, Boston College, I think we we're both pretty excited to watch. I think they have a pretty bad loss early. So the point I'm trying to make is, you know, I, I think that this was a team that we said, well, you know, the ACC is going to be much improved this year. By the way, you know who else? North Carolina struggled a little bit yeah. in a couple of their yeah. games as well. So, I mean, these are all factors. You know, you don't think about college basketball. You don't have to go crazy overreacting off of any one result. Uh, but but I, like I said, I, I really did feel like there were some positives to come out of that game for Duke, even with a loss. Yeah, and uh, quickly on Florida State, it's interesting. They are 0-3 with three losses to Stetson. UCF and Troy and they've had some things go against them uh, losing Baba Miller due to an NCAA suspension for the first 16 games of the season he was a freshman they were expecting a lot of they also lost Jalen Ganey who was an Ivy League transfer that they were expecting to give them something as well but yeah it's very rare you see Florida State lose games they're not expected to lose and they're sitting at 0-3 and by the way their next game, Friday night, a little in-state uh, rivalry game with uh, Florida and our guy Todd Goldberg. Oh, looking forward to that the one. Gators, the Gators who just took a big L against Florida Atlantic. Okay, good to know. I'll make, I'll make sure to uh, rearrange the, the schedule. So instead of watching Xavier, Indiana, and uh, Villanova against Michigan State, I'll make sure to get that Florida-Florida State game on the big TV. So. <laughs> Absolutely, dude. Well, AT, thank you so much for joining me here today on the College Hoops Daily Podcast. Always love talking college basketball with you. Uh, we know we're going to have you on the show, hopefully at least uh, one time a week over the course of the season. But yeah, man, thank you so much for joining me. Always great uh, talking college hoops. Yeah, we'll see about next week because, you know, there's going to be so much going on. I don't know if we're going to do, you know, I don't know if midweek makes sense, but uh But no, man, keep up the great work with the show so far. And uh, yeah, man, I'm looking forward to joining you every week during the season. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right. Absolutely. Thanks, man. I'll talk to you soon. Welcome back to the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. My name is Zach Kroll. I'm your host. And before we end the show with some final thoughts on the Champions Classic and quickly going around the country to some other games that occurred last night that I had some thoughts on, we want to thank our presenting sponsor and the sponsor of all things, Aaron Torres Media, Betfred Sportsbook. Betfred is one of Europe's biggest sportsbooks with over 1,600 shops in the UK and have recently come to the U.S., and made a splash in a big way. They are the official betting partner of the Denver Broncos, the Colorado Rockies, and now the Cincinnati Bengals. More importantly, they're the perfect partner for us here at the College Hoops Daily Podcast because they do more 
for their customers than anyone out there. Betfred has given VIP tailgates at Broncos games to the Betfred suite at Bengals games, and they give out more free bonus, and no one gives out more free bonuses than Betfred. As a matter of fact, we have a special offer for our listeners and first-time users. If you could bet $50 on any college hoops game and then get $250 back in free bets, courtesy of Betfred Sportsbook. To learn more, visit BetfredSports.com. And again, before we end today's show, I had a few final thoughts on the Champions Classic. Most of my conversation with Aaron came from the Duke perspective of things in that uh, second game of the doubleheader last night between Duke and Kansas. And look, I mentioned it with AT. I am not as high as everyone else on this Kansas team, considering how much they lost from the national championship team last year. And while I like some of their pieces that they added in Kevin McCuller and Grady Dick, I wasn't exactly sure how these pieces would mesh, but it does help when Jalen Wilson was clearly no doubt about it. The best player on the floor for either side last night, he finished with 25 points and 11 rebounds. You want him to be, a little bit more efficient from the field, 11 from 26. But based on what I saw last night, I think Jalen Wilson is going to be a capable go-to player for this Kansas team. And him and Dewan Harris are awesome leaders. You know, they were on the national championship team last year. This is now their fourth year in the Kansas program. They were on the Kansas Jayhawks a few years ago in 2020 when they thought, and many others thought, they had a team good enough to win the national championship. But unfortunately, we know what happened that season. The ending gets wiped out by the COVID-19 pandemic. I think Jalen Wilson was the best player on the floor last night. And I think he will make a major impact for Kansas this season. I also like what they did with KJ Adams. It's interesting because he is a center, but he's also six, seven. So when you want to play him there, it's a small ball five. And that has not been historically what most Bill self coach teams at Kansas have looked like, but he made some plays. He finishes with eight points, two rebounds, two assists, a perfect four of four from the field. For KJ Adams, I was impressed with him. I also like what Bobby Pettiford gave them. He's another youngster in this Kansas program at the guard position. I like that look with him and Dewan Harris, that those are two solid point guards to have on the floor. And Kansas didn't even have Bill Self last night, and they still come out victorious with the victory. I don't think Dewan Harris gets enough credit for being one of the better leaders in college basketball. I love the way he runs that Kansas offense. He plays... 35 minutes last night and finishes with six points, four rebounds, and 10 assists. Not many better overall passers in the sport of college basketball than Dewan Harris. And look, the Big 12 is tough when it comes to this Kansas team, right? Texas is really good. I think they're improved. You have Baylor. You have Texas Tech. You obviously have Kansas. You have TCU. I know they've struggled, but they are missing a few pieces. I still think they're going to be fine by the end of the day. And when you look at Kansas's non-conference schedule, they're going to go to the battle for Atlantis. They will also take on Seton Hall, Missouri, and Indiana during their non-conference slate. So there are going to be plenty of challenges for this Kansas team in addition to last night. But in a game where they didn't even play their best basketball, they still found a way to come back and beat Duke. They don't win that game also without that crazy stretch from Grady Dick, where he was quiet for a good 10, 15-minute span going into that that stretch but he delivers and leads Kansas to the victory over Duke really impressive job uh, by him excuse me 
And before we end the show, we just wanted to give a couple of final takes on last night's action. A team to watch for in the Atlantic 10 is St. Louis. They are now 3-0 after their 90-84 victory over Memphis. Travis Ford's team made a nice run in the NIT last year. They bring a majority of everyone back. They also brought in some transfers. Uh, Yuri Collins, probably the best passer in all of college basketball. He had a big-time performance with 22 points and 9 assists in 39 minutes. Gibson Jimerson, one of the better shooters in the sport, he finishes with 18 points. And Francis Okoro, the Oregon transfer, he finishes with 9-11. and 11. St. Louis has depth they have talent i think this is a team to watch for uh in the atlantic 10 they will actually be heading to mohegan sun and will have two games against maryland and either providence or miami this weekend those will be games i will be locked into i'm excited to watch the st louis bilkin team play uh in the atlantic 10 also in the atlantic 10 last night a little bit of an upset dayton who a lot of people were high on going into the season the flyers going into last night's game they were the number 21 ranked team in the country they lose to unlv 60 to 52 i was impressed with kevin kruger's team at points last year but they had a lot of talent they had donovan williams they had bryce hamilton they lose those guys and then last night they play without west virginia transfer uh uh, what the West Virginia transfer Cottrell Isaiah Cottrell he misses the game and they still find a way to win over Dayton thanks to a 24 point performance by the Oklahoma transfer EJ Harkless they also had Justin Webster go for 16 points so a really solid uh, victory by UNLV last night Dayton they will have some big games coming up that's not necessarily a loss you want to take but they should be fine they will take on Wisconsin also with Kansas they will be there uh, for the battle uh, for Atlantis, and they will take on Virginia Tech and Wyoming as well before they kick off the start of Atlantic 10 play. And also, quickly in that St. Louis Memphis game, I'm impressed with Memphis. I watched them against Vanderbilt, watched every second of that game. I don't know if there's a team that is tougher and that plays harder in college basketball right now than Memphis. Kendrick Davis, an elite player, DeAndre Williams, they rarely play when they rarely lose when he plays. I mentioned that the other night on this podcast, but Williams finishes with 21 and 12 in this Memphis victory over Kansas. And one other game quickly I wanted to get to is in the Pac-12. And the Pac-12 just continues to do itself no favors during these non-conference slates. They've already lost a ton of bye games. You have Cal losing to UC Davis. You have Colorado losing to Grambling State. And then yesterday, you have Washington State losing to Prairie View. You also had Arizona State losing to Texas Southern. You also had um, Oregon losing to UC Irvine. Like These are results that cannot happen. And Stanford, a team that actually people were, were expecting could be pretty good this year. They bring back a majority of the talent from last year's team that narrowly missed the NCAA tournament. And they had a major opportunity last night to salvage a lot of the damage that the Pac-12 conference has done so far this season with a game at home against San Diego State, an Aztec team that is ranked 17 in the country. They've made both of the last two NCAA tournaments, and I'm a huge fan of Brian Dutcher and the job that he's done there. And the thing with San Diego State is they've always been really good on the defensive side of the ball. They play that pack line style defense similar to Virginia, but unlike last year, this team could actually score the ball 
14 points from Jaden Ladee. I was really impressed with him also when I watched them against BYU on Friday night where the Aztecs played a not-so-great first half, still found a way to win, and they go into Stanford and roll them 74-62. to The game was not as close as that final score indicates because really San Diego State wed and controlled the game from start to finish, and we're going to see San Diego State in Maui along with teams like Arizona and Arkansas and Creighton, teams that I'm really high on. That field is absolutely stacked. I can't wait for it. The Maui Invitational coming up uh, during Feast Week next week. That is going to be good. You also, from the Stanford perspective, it's unfortunate because Stanford, they didn't play terribly against Wisconsin in that game at the Milwaukee Brewers Stadium, but at the same time, they still lost, and Stanford shot an abysmal two of 18 from the three-point line in that game. Then yesterday, they shoot four of 18 against San Diego State. Jared Haas has done a really good job bringing in talent, but at the same time, if you can't win with it, then what's the point? It's The results are what matters. You have to be able to win games. He hasn't done that so far. He is now in his seventh year as the head coach of Stanford, and he still has not made the NCAA tournament yet. I think if that doesn't change this year, he may not be the coach of Stanford for much longer. So it's going to be a big year for Stanford, not a great start losing each of these last two games uh, to Wisconsin and to San Diego State. But we have a great slate of games coming up this week. We have Gonzaga in Texas. We have Iowa and Seton Hall. We also have the start of some Feast Week MTE tournaments this weekend that I can't wait. We will be back with you Friday here on the College Hoops Daily Podcast, talking all things college basketball. But that was a lot of fun, guys. Appreciate you for listening. And yeah, that was another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast following an epic Champions Classic. Good job by Michigan State. Good job by Kansas coming away with the victories. We'll talk to you guys soon. Everyone have a good one. For the past 30 years, Care Heating and Cooling put you first. You are the reason they are open seven days a week. You are why they make it easy to schedule service at careheatingandcooling.com. Concern for your safety is why they check every gas furnace for carbon monoxide. It's because of you that their technicians are paid to fix your furnace and air conditioner, not sell you a new one. And if you do need a new furnace, their team will make sure you get exactly what you need at a cost that fits your budget. Care Heating and Cooling is committed to doing business right. Call them at 1-800-COOLING when you need a company you can trust. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.